Hey y'all, it's Elizabeth Sharkey here with episode 11 of the podcast, It Started with the Zoo, Animal Ethics for the Average Person. This episode is entitled, Should We Feed Zoo Animals Live Prey? This question started out as a post on my TikTok, but the responses I got were so surprising, I decided I had to make a podcast episode on it. I just want to get right into it, so let's go. For those of you who don't follow my TikTok, first of all, please go follow my TikTok. <laughs> it's um, the handle is Average Animal Ethics, the same handle that I use for all my other um, Instagram and my email. But for those of you who don't follow, I use my TikTok to post more humorous content, shorter informational type videos. I like to poke a lot of fun at PETA. But another thing I do a lot is I pose a lot of questions. Now, I pose my questions on TikTok because it's a great way to start conversations with people who I might not otherwise get to talk to. I love talking to people about their opinions on these kind of complex animal ethics issues. My goal in the future is to actually sort of set up tables in public places and just talk to people about these topics, try to educate people and have discussions. I really wanted to do that with the weather getting so nice out, but with COVID, you know, I haven't done that yet. Some states are beginning to open up a little bit. Where I live, it's still pretty strict, and I don't want people to get mad at me, (laughs) but uh, maybe it's something we'll be able to do soon. Anyway, on April 28th, I posted a TikTok, and I will play that for you right now. Do you think it's ethical to feed captive carnivores live prey? In episode three of my podcast, we talked about rewilding programs and about how part of those rewilding programs were hunting lessons. Jaguars and Persian leopards, who are hopefully going to be reintroduced to the wild, are given lessons with live prey. My question is, what about our zoo animals who aren't being introduced into the wild anytime soon? While I think lions, tigers, and other carnivores in zoos and captivity would greatly benefit both mentally and physically from being able to hunt live prey. The ethics behind it can get pretty hairy. We feed other live animals like crickets and mealworms to our zoo animals, but draw the line at putting a gazelle in a lion cage. In your opinion, why do you think one is okay and the other's not? And what are your thoughts on the topic? The question is mostly focused on large carnivorous mammals, Um, you know, your big cats, your lions, your leopards, your cheetahs, your tigers, animals like that, sort of more top predators. And I mentioned, you know, how we feed, at least at the zoo I worked at, you know, we had bugs, we had crickets, we had mealworms, and we would feed those animals straight to our primates, straight to our reptiles, And so my question was kind of, why do you think that is? And do you think it would be ethical to give our large carnivorous mammals 
live prey for them to hunt in captivity. When I posted this TikTok, I wasn't sure the response I would get. And initially, I was very worried that people would get upset at me for even bringing up this question, for even suggesting that giving zoo animals live prey would be a benefit to them. I was honestly a little scared, but the responses I got were the most chill responses ever, which I was really not expecting. Now, again, if you don't follow my TikTok, please do. And even if you're not going to follow it, just go check it out. There's going to be even more responses and more conversations in the comments of that post by the time I publish this. And I won't have time to go over every response and every conversation I had. So I suggest you take a look and read some of them for yourself. I respond or at least usually try to respond to every message that I get. So there's always a great respectful conversation in my comments, which I think are some really awesome tools for learning. So check it out. I'm going to go ahead and read four comments that I got in my comment section that I think pretty clearly sum up what everyone said. So the first comment we have is, I think it's absolutely okay because if zoos try to keep it as natural as possible, then using live prey would be the best option. The second comment was, as long as the animals are fit enough to hunt, I see no issue. The third comment was, yeah, I think all of them should at least be able to hunt every once in a while. It has to be much better for them and they should enjoy it. The fourth comment was just, yes. <laughs> now, I had some more comments, but at the point at which I'm writing this podcast, there were no people who were against the feeding live prey to predators in zoos, which was really surprising to me. I try to put myself in the shoes of all these people who are really gung-ho about putting the gazelle in the cage with the cheetah. I think one of the differences between the prey and the predator is the level at which we anthropomorphize big carnivores. We tend to anthropomorphize big carnivores a lot more than we do when we're comparing it to, you know, a big herd type herbivores. For those of you who don't know, anthropomorphizing is attributing human traits, emotions, or intentions to non-human things, including even objects. Humans have, for better or worse, the tendency to anthropomorphize things. It's just part of our psychology. By assigning other things human traits, we relate to them better, we remember them better, and we can associate them with our own emotions. Now, most scientists in the biological or zoological world are really anti-anthropomorphizing things because it can lead to the misunderstanding of processes and it can also lead to inappropriate behavior towards animals. For example, let's take these two sentences. 
if I said, every time I walk by the jaguar exhibit, the jaguar jumps up and runs over to me, he misses me. So what is the observation there? The observation is that every time I walk by the jaguar exhibit, he jumps up and runs over. That's very true. That's an observation that I'm having. The anthropomorphism comes in when I say, he misses me. Because at that point, I've taken my observation and I've assigned a motivation behind it. Let's say that when I see this jaguar run up to me, it reminds me of my best friend running to meet me after I was away for college at a year. I'm thinking, just like how my friend runs to meet me, this jaguar is doing the same thing. I have at that moment assigned a human behavior to this jaguar. What is the big deal though? Why would assigning a jaguar this sort of human trait be dangerous? Why does it matter if I think that a jaguar misses me? Well, now you have personal belief that you and this jaguar have a relationship, that he wants to see you and be with you and be around you. You may start to think that you can even trust this jaguar, that you two have a relationship and that he would never harm you. So let's say that one day you stick your fingers through his mesh holding area and boom, he bites you. This would be an instance where anthropomorphism caused someone to behave inappropriately, putting their fingers into the cage. And then obviously a problem arises if you've, you know, lost a finger. I don't want to get onto the tangent about if animals have emotions or all of that stuff. I might do another episode about it, but talking strictly about the anthropomorphism of carnivores, when we look at a lion, we might say, oh, you know, how majestic is that lion? We associate lions with nobility and bravery and strength and smarts. I mean, how many motivational quotes talk about the lion mindset or be like a lion, stuff like that? No one ever talks about be like a deer because all we associate deer with are running straight into the headlights of our car. People in their minds imagine the lion to be more like us than the deer. So when I bring up the question of should we feed a deer to a lion, many people are like, yeah. While I, on the other hand, I've spent a lot of time with ungulates or hoofed mammals from my time working at a zoo. And I anthropomorphize these ungulates myself. You know, oh, look at this little guy. He's so cute. He's so loving. He's so caring. He's so kind. Even though I try not to, it, you know, <laughs> it's hard to do. So I think of them and I'm a little more wary to say, yeah, let's feed that really kind guy over there to this lion. Now, th that's just my theory on why I think the specific people in my comments were so for it. And those listening may be like, what? No way. You know, I, I have some zookeepers who listen to this podcast 
and I'd be very interested to hear their thoughts on this issue. I'm not sure if the people who commented on my TikTok are necessarily in the animal field, but that's just kind of my theory about maybe why those people were so for it, and I'm much more wary of the topic. But I think anthropomorphism is something really important to think about because, like I mentioned earlier, we feed live crickets, we feed mealworms, we feed them to animals and don't really think twice about it. Now, most scientists don't really think that bugs, that these bugs in particular, can feel pain. So, you know, that's a different argument. I think it's pretty widely accepted that mammals, like a deer or a kudu or, I don't know, a moose, can feel pain. And they feel it similarly to how us humans feel pain. Many people argue that, you know, while insects can understand um, danger or problems with their body, for example, if you stepped on one by accident, that they don't actually process pain the way we do. So that's probably another reason why we so easily feed a cricket to a lizard, but we are much more hesitant to feed the deer to the lion. So that's just another thing to think about. When we're talking about the ethics of this issue, I want to look at it from both the predator's point of view, but also the prey's point of view. So let's start with the pros and cons for this setup of the predator. Two problems that I feel would be fixed by giving carnivorous mammals live prey would be obesity and boredom. And there's some overlap between these two things. Starting with obesity, wild, large carnivore mammals like the lion, tiger, etc., they spend a good deal, a majority of their day sleeping, resting, laying down. They sleep a lot during the day, then lay in the sun, then relax. Now, captive animals do this as well. They do the same thing. And since they don't need to hunt, they don't need to protect territory, they don't need to travel for food or water or shelter, they're going to spend even more of their day resting, hanging out. Zookeepers try to remedy this inactivity by giving enrichment. Maybe it's some sort of puzzle. Maybe it's some sense. Maybe it's, um, you know, some feathers. But a lot of these enrichments that we give our animals last minutes, if that. And then the animal is done with it and they go back to resting. This paired with the fact that many of these animals are fed daily lends itself to obesity. In the wild, especially a lion, for example, will hunt, make the kill, gorge themselves, and then be satisfied for days before they need to hunt again. This gorge and fast model of eating, paired with the exercise they're getting, keeps these animals pretty lean. Compared to their captive counterparts who are dealing with problems of obesity. 
if we talk about boredom, many animals suffer from boredom in captivity. Now, certain species definitely do do better than others in captivity, and all individuals are different. But stereotypic behaviors, which are repeated, useless movements, are common. Stereotypic behaviors can be a sign of boredom or too little mental stimulation. Stereotypic behaviors can range from pacing a lot, even to more severe examples like self-mutilation, maybe chewing on um, your own tail or pruning your feathers so much that you start pulling them out. Behaviors like that that can be more destructive. Many animals in the wild rest a lot, but when they have the task of hunting, for example, and protecting their territory and socializing with unknown animals, this requires a lot of not only physical exertion, but also mental exertion. It takes brains, it takes coordination, and it takes skills. I think the biggest problem for captive animals is this lack of stress. Now, when we hear the word stress, we're like, oh my gosh, Elizabeth, no, 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 no. I hate stress. You think about midterm week, you're staying up all night, tearing your hair out, thinking about if you'll pass a class or not. You think of that and you say, no, I wish I could avoid the stress in my life. But moderate stress has been shown to be good for humans. It turns our brains on and we perform at heightened levels, while humans with no stress in their life experience anxiety and depression. I think it's not too far of a leap to say this applies to other animals as well. We have very smart animals like jaguars who are stealthy, solitary hunters, and we hand them every meal. We give them unlimited water. They don't need to defend territory. They never have to fight another male. They never have to find a female. We hand them everything. And then we give them a ball to play with for 20 minutes of the day. There is no stress. And I think that's what animals are missing. Having zero stress in your life, you're going to be bored all the time. Letting captive animals feel a little bit of stress, I think, would be a good thing. You know, the jaguar example. Giving the jaguar a live coffee bar to hunt. He's going to run. He doesn't know which direction the capybara will go, but he's going to have to catch it if he wants to eat. I think jaguars and other animals would greatly benefit for that opportunity to experience a little bit of stress, a little bit of necessary physical exertion and mental exertion in order to eat. I think the mental exertion is positive and it's something that captive animals miss out on a lot. And I think if animals were given the chance to hunt, they would live a much more realistic life, and I think they would benefit from it. Another pro for the hunting besides the obesity and boredom problem is also the dental health. Tearing flesh, chewing on bones, it helps keep the mouth clean. And there's also a social aspect of eating for some animals. 
Now, this wouldn't apply to solitary animals, but for animals like lions who live in prides, there's a social aspect of eating. There's a hierarchy, which would be another dimension of thinking and interaction that a captive animal would benefit from. When I think of the cons for predators of having to catch live prey, the first thing that comes to mind is injury. Now, certain species do live longer in captivity, and for an older, more geriatric animal to get kicked in the face, I think is a big danger. And I don't think all animals would be a great candidate for this live prey opportunity. If you have older animals or animals with some sort of health issues, people would also say, and you know, I would agree with this, that the smaller cages and exhibits we have our animals in aren't really conducive to letting people or letting the animals hunt. There's not a lot of room. So to put a piece of prey that's going to go crazy when it's in this tiny exhibit with a lion is dangerous. And that's something that is definitely a con. People would also say that, you know, well, little kids watching a deer get vibe checked would be a con. But my response to that would be feedings could easily be done before or after hours when visitors are gone. So I don't see that being a huge con, but it is a consideration. Moving on to prey, if we look at this from the prey angle, I see a lot of cons. Obviously, getting eaten is a big con when we think about most zoos, the exhibits are small. So if we put a piece of prey in a predator's exhibit, there's really no chance for that prey to get away. There's nowhere they can run. There's no way they can get away. If we have large exhibits, more like open zoos, those drive-through kind of safaris, and we had prey and predator mixed in the same open area, then that's something that I could see working better. The predator would have to work a lot harder to get their prey, and the prey would have a chance to get away, which I think makes it more quote-unquote fair. The only issue with this would be that to accommodate a herd of prey, we would need a large chunk of land, and the predator is the more tricky part, though, here, because if we put a lion on this large piece of land with this herd of prey, depending on how big that land is, we really could only put one predator or a family of a couple predators. Because the second we put two, let's say, male predators, for example, male jaguars, in this big piece of land, big exhibit, but not huge, there's going to be fighting. And... While that is realistic and that would happen in the wild, there's really nowhere for those animals to go because it's not, you know, a forest. It's an exhibit. It's a zoo. So we would have to consider how far we want to take the realisticness of the zoo, of the conditions we put these animals in. And also, if it's even ethical to put those two males, those two competing animals in 
this one piece of land where they have nowhere else to go and they're probably going to get into a lot of conflicts and maybe even kill one another. So that's the consideration for large zoos. Small zoos, it's not very plausible just because of how small exhibits usually are. When we think about the pro for the prey, <laughs> this was a lot harder to think about. But if we actively had predators eating from the herd, so for example, the zoo I worked at, we had kudu, which if you don't know what a kudu is, imagine just a huge deer with some white markings on it. We had a female herd and then a male herd, and that was the groupings we had which is pretty realistic um, because in the wild, the males only really come over and interact with the female herd when it's time for mating and the breeding season. If we had males and females in one large area, we would be able to keep them together if there were predators actively eating from the herd actively keeping the herd population lower. So at the zoo, like I said, we had the female herd was kept separate from the male herd and they were not put together unless for breeding purposes. Now, if we had them in the same area, we would have tons of little baby kudu, which we didn't want. But if we have a predator out there who's keeping the population under control, very similar to the wild, then we would be able to put the male herd and the female herd together and they would have the options to interact with each other the same as in the wild. The prey would also be more alert. We talked about the stress on animals. I think it's a farther leap to apply it to, you know, a gazelle, an impala, a kudu who are naturally very skittish. So I don't know if the addition of a predator would be beneficial to them. They're pretty skittish just without the predators, so I don't know if that would be a pro for them. But I'm trying to think out of the box here. I'm having a hard time coming up with pros for the prey, which is probably because there are not a lot. When we weigh these pros and cons, it's hard to determine what is best. You probably remember in episode three, we talked about how in rewilding programs, we have the animal hunting skills that are assessed before the jaguar, before the leopard can be released. This is, of course, done with live prey. So the scientists assess them and then say if they're ready to be put back into the wild. Now, feeding live animals to these animals makes a lot of sense because they're going to need to survive out there. You know, this is, we have to be able to assure that they can survive out there before we kick them out the door. It's harder to justify with these zoo animals just because they are not going to be going into the wild. Maybe one day their relatives will be in the wild. You know, I think that's a ways off for many animals just because we don't have a ton of reintroduction research on a lot of species. But it's something to consider. My Personal opinion is I'm very torn on the topic. I don't even know if I have a personal opinion. Like I said, it makes sense for these rewilding programs. These animals are kept in very large areas to simulate 
their natural environment. And these predators are usually necessary for the ecosystems they're released into. For example, the jaguars being rewilded practice their hunting skills with live capybara. While the capybara suffer to be eaten by this jaguar, when the jaguars are released, they're going to hunt the capybara. But that hunting is going to help keep the wild capybara population under control. So that's collectively good for the environment. What about captive animals? Giving them live prey is not for the greater good of an ecosystem. It's good for the carnivore, but bad for the prey. Because this isn't an ecosystem, it's an exhibit. That's really where my view of captive animals comes into play. I think we need to make better use of our animals for research purposes and for rewilding purposes. Even if we're not going to rewild, you know, individual X. If we research the hunting abilities of captive animals and we research how they're going to react in more natural exhibits, then maybe Animal X's offspring would have a better chance of being rewilded. Ideas like that cross my mind, but at the moment, I can't really definitively say that I'm going to go outside the zoo and protest and try to get them to feed large carnivorous mammals live prey. You know, I'm not there yet, but it's such a tricky topic. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode. If you have any thoughts on this topic or any topics you want me to cover in the future, feel free to reach out to my email account, which is going to be averageanimalethics at gmail.com. Make sure to follow my TikTok and my Instagram account, which is also Average Animal Ethics, so you guys can get more info about the podcast and extra content. Like always, please subscribe on Spotify and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you guys will tune in next week when we talk about the Big Cat Public Safety Act. This topic was actually suggested to me by one of our listeners And I'm so excited that I'm going to be able to go over it next week. Talk soon. Bye-bye.